Today we are talking to Dan Zellum and we discuss promoting your company's vision in service of the customer, putting your people in a position to succeed and focusing on the outcome to drive the business forward. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. For me, dressed up is when I have, I, I, I don't think I ever wear a suit, <laughs> but I, I wear, try I, to avoid it <laughs> as much as possible. <laughs> what I consider my rebellion is like, I, re- I wear really high end like sneaker shoes, right? And yeah, then, I, I see that's a thing now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I see, I see guys on TV doing that and it's like, wow, we're wearing sneakers now with suits. That's pretty cool. Oh, I know. I saw, um. <laughs> I was watching MasterChef and I saw one of the wealthy, stylish guys. He was wearing like this really nice suit and then he had these like bright sneakers that like matched. Yeah, no, no, no. I've seen a lot of people do that now. It's it's kind of, I'll have to give that a try because it's probably more comfortable than shoes. Oh, sure. I, I gave it a try. I did. Yeah. They're, the shoes are still expensive, so it's not like a price difference, but no, yeah, the sneakers comfortable. Are, yeah. What, what brand typically? I ch- I've tried everything, but I'm I'm interested in this new brand uh, <laughs> called On, and they just came out and they they look like amazing. O N. Yeah, but it looks like their logo almost looks like a crop circle. I was like, what is this? Yeah, I was like, I want the crop circle shoes. He's like, you mean On? And I'm like, oh, that's what it is because they do the O and the N strange. Yeah, it's cool. This is the show, by the way. There's no intro. This is the Welcome to the Modern CTO podcast. This is it. This <laughs> that's great. That's yeah. great. I uh, before I left Johnson and Johnson, we had uh, a bunch of uh, millennials who were really sp- started to do podcasts internally within the, in the company, and uh, they did a good job. And it was all organic, and uh, it was it was a great way for uh, to communicate, you know, in, the, in an informal setting. And you know, be able to share it broadly. So it was, uh, it was. Uh, I gave them a lot of credit for you know doing it on their own, and they created their own channel, and uh, it started started to take off. So yeah, no, it's pretty cool. Was it about like inside Johnson and Johnson, or what was? Yeah, it, about? it was in like tech, not you know tech stuff that was happening. It was a way to kind of make because you know in a big company, it's hard for everybody to know what the heck is going on. You know, it, it, no matter what you do, and with a global company, it's even harder because you're dealing with thousands and thousands of miles away and uh it's just a great way to to, they use it to like you know what are the cool things that people are doing what is the cto thinking sort of like this type of thing what's on your mind you know topical but it was uh and really was was quite effective it was good so you were how long were you at johnson johnson it was a while right uh, five years. Five years. Five years. Okay. Yep. And then prior to that, I was with Medco for about twenty. So I've been in in healthcare technology for for thirty some odd years. And then prior to that, I was in banking for twelve. Ooh, at least you got so, out of there. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, you know, for me, I was at Chemical Bank, and the mergers mania started. Mm-hmm. And I saw the writing on the wall and said, this is not going to be good. <laughs> so I I uh, started planning my exit. And uh, I, I was so lucky to end up at a company like Medco, which was really a company that gave birth to an industry, the PBM industry. And to be part of that 
was just an amazing experience. And it's really where I, I give credit to where I kind of hone my craft and my skills and, you know. What, what is the PVM industry? That's the pharmacy benefit management uh, industry. And what they're, they're like a B2B company. And when you work for a corporation, you have medical benefits, but you also have prescription benefits. And PBMs, you know, work on your behalf to negotiate drug pricing. And, uh, but they do much more than that. They do clinical interventions. Uh, they do fulfillment of mail service prescriptions. If you have a chronic condition like diabetes or, you know, some other chronic, you're going to be on medic medication for your entire life. You can get uh, 90 days prescriptions for the cost of 30 day at retail. So they're they're a huge industry. You know they're they're kind of silent. They're kind of like an Intel inside for, but they deal with every major corporation, small business, Blue Cross plan, labor unions, uh, and you know Medca was was really a top tier one, and uh, it was all driven by technology. And the thing about Medco that made it unique was that the, at scale and the arrival rate and the intensity. We were connected to every every retail pharmacy in the country and we had our own network of pharmacies and call centers. So wow. it was like the intersection of three companies of uh, custom service bureau, call centers, and sort of like a, a modern, you know, an early stage Amazon home delivery. And this was in like the 90s, early 2000s? Yeah, it was. I started there in the early 90s. And they were a $2 billion company when I started. And when I left, we were a $70 billion company. And we were acquired by Merck, and then we were divested by Merck. And so it was like working for three or four different companies. But it had a special, you know, it was a special place that brought really smart people together to do really amazing things. All, most of it driven by technology. And, the, you know, the business and the technology group were so intertwined. It was really a magical place, and uh, I'm glad that I got the, that opportunity. It's really where you know, I got to do a lot of cool things, but it was the type of place where uh, you couldn't afford to screw up because if you did, you know, you might kill someone. You know, yeah, or lose a billion dollars, right? <laughs> yeah, and it was yeah. so. It was. Uh, oh yeah, because if you give someone the wrong, if you dispatch the wrong. Yeah, you know, no, yeah. we had factories that were putting pills in bottles and putting them in bags and putting shipping labels on, on them and uh, mail them to people's homes. And then, you know, with the advent of the, the web, you know, the, the heyday of e-commerce, we were the first ones to do prescription ordering of refills and renewals uh, on the web. Whoa. And that was just huge. That was huge. I mean, that was unheard of. You know, that you were going to do what? And, uh, you know, we had to, and back then there weren't a lot of tools. I mean, we had to handcraft things together to make the technology work. There was way before things like Broadvision and, and WebSphere and all those things. There was way before that. I mean, they came eventually, but, you know, we had to, you know, innovate to get that done and do it securely. And uh, we had to convince, and I, I played a role in that too, going to clients and convincing them why they could trust us. Because they had, we couldn't do it, you know, we couldn't do it with their members unless they agreed to it. And I remember when we hit, you know, first 100,000 prescriptions. And then I think by the time we end, we were doing millions and it was a $6 billion channel. Wow. <laughs> People were ordering and renewing and doing customer service transactions. And the great thing about us that really differentiated us from everybody else is that our website 
was fully integrated with our backend transaction system. So if you made an order on the web, you could go call, drop that web connection, make a call and do an order status, get an answer, or call call in a customer service rep and get an answer in real time. But this is and like in the 90s, see, so that's... Yeah, right this is like, yeah, this is like, you know, incredible. And we were doing it with a mainframe. Oh. Yeah, this was a mainframe we were doing it with. And, you know, this was the day before RESTful APIs and all, all of this other stuff. And we had real time. It was just phenomenal. We use uh, IBM MQ series. Wow. To to do that real-time uh, real connection with the mainframe. And uh, it was incredible. It was incredible. That's just, you know, an example, though, the type of stuff that we did. Uh, and uh, it, it was a cool, you know, to be part of that is you don't get many opportunities to do that. And, uh, you know, so it was a special place. And then unfortunately, you know, I thought I'd retire from there because I was there 20 years and uh, we were we were killing it for years. And but then a couple of things went the wrong way. And the next thing you know, we were doing a merger and. Well, it may have been called the merger. It wasn't a merger. We were being acquired by uh, by Express Scripts, and you know, two very different companies, different values, uh, different points of view. And, How did they get uh, an edge on? How did they? Where did they get their white space? How did they get into that position? How did you? Well, there was a couple of things in the marketplace that that hit us, and you know, the CEO had to make a decision. Like, you know, are we going to dig our way out of this? And there was a lot of people wanted to do that. Or it was the right time to sell high, you know, and move on and do the best thing you can for those shareholders. And that's really what happened. Was it like policy related? Like where did this? There were some things in the press that hit us with clients. There were some clients that we, big clients that we didn't win and others yeah. did win. And those all put pressure. You yeah, know, when you're a public PR company. Stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You know? Publicly traded company. Yeah. It's, it's, it's brutal. And so there were, you know, the wins were, going down they weren't you know underneath our winds the wings they were under you know they were forcing down and you know the, and you have the, the CEO made, responsibility to your show yeah to this, exactly and it, it was the right call it was the right call because it would have it would have taken a, a, a long time to you know to dig away out of that and probably for the you know the shareholders it was including myself was one but it wasn't easy you know it was uh, and then you know i got to lead the, the fun charge of like, okay, whose systems are we going to use? And that was 11 months of really interesting conversations, you know, especially when you're the one being acquired. But I, I'm proud to say that as a result of that, all of our systems were chosen. That's awesome. But they're yeah. not mainframes anymore though. <laughs> well, no, they still are. They yeah. still are in that industry. Yeah, they still are because it's all CICS. And, and, and underneath it all, it's all CICS COBOL. Wow. And, you know, you're not going to replace that easily in, in any short amount of time. And it still works and it's still highly performant. So it's surrounded by a bunch of, you know, distributed systems. But, you know, it's still, it's still mainframe. But things are moving off. But it's still a mainframe driven. It's one of the industries that is uh, still, I think, you know, highly mainframe driven. But it is, it is, it is going to change. But that's a, lot of, that's a lot of code to move. Oh, yeah. I actually, this experience brings up... Uh, we keep questions and our documents uh -huh. that people ask us and say, hey, when you come across a person with this type of experience, ask, ask these questions. And so yeah. I've got one that I think would be a good fit for you. Is that okay? Yeah, okay, sure. All right. So this person's name is Alvin. And he asked me, he said, 
I want to hear from CTOs that have handled and survived critical technology inflection points, like the beginning of the internet with mobile apps, SaaS, the cloud. He says there's definitely a wave right now with the AI, ML technology, but it'd be interesting uh-huh. to hear about those who've gone through a major technical transition. Like, how did you evaluate it? Yeah, so you know, we we certainly did that with cloud at J and J, and you know, because everything cloud and digital now and machine learning and you know, and, and digital is this big umbrella which covers everything. You know, half people don't even know what they're talking about when they. Well, what do you really mean by that? You know, and the thing that I like to point out is that digital as a startup is a way different experience than digital in a large enterprise. Because you've got this base that you've got to deal with. You've got these, these, you know, these systems of record that really is where everything runs at the end of the day. And so when you start you know, putting up Salesforce and you start putting up uh, other type of digital things, you know, ultimately, if you really want it to be end-to-end, you've got, to, you've got to figure out a way how to harness and be able to coexist and leverage some of those legacy systems. And that's a major journey because building stuff on the edge is easy to do, but it becomes an island if you don't, if you don't integrate it. And so, so that's one aspect of it. I think the other aspect of it that, you know, how do you, how do you survive that? For my experience, it was having a sound financial model that acts as a pull, not a push. Meaning that, you know, people see we move to these digital technologies, we move the cloud, there's agility and there's cost savings as well. And it acts as sort of a, a help, not only to help keep a scorecard of who's achieving the goals, but also there's this savings to be had there for moving away from physical assets into more of a digital, digital space and virtual space. So, you know, leveraging financials, I think, is a key one. And I think that, you know, the other side of it is, whether it's digital or machine learning, any of these things, is having that relationship with the business that can really show them what good looks like and what the opportunities are to demonstrate value. And so you get that flywheel effect where it becomes, you hit the inflection point and then it becomes self, self-sustaining. But there's a heavy lift to get from there. And I think a lot of that, and particularly with enterprises, you've got a base of people who aren't necessarily, you know, modern day digital people. And how do you do the change management with those folks to get them to like moving to a, to a higher level and to kind of retooling their skills? And I think the third aspect is bringing in people who bring a different point of view. Like when I came to Johnson & Johnson, you know, they have a long history with folks there. So I brought, I brought my perspective from, from Medco, which was a low margin business, operational excellence. Uh, you know, we're going to do it. We're not going to try. We're going to actually do it. I love that mentality. And we're not going to fail, right? As compared to, you know, a company like Johnson & Johnson, big margins. IT was not necessarily uh, a differentiating factor in the company, more of a back office type of thing. It could be though. And what's that? It could always, it could be. It could be. And, uh, you know, I'm proud to say that in the ter- tenure that I was there, you know, we, uh, we turned the image internally and externally of the IT organization 360 degrees where we are thought of th- thought leaders and 
you know, I had the opportunity to present at the Amazon's uh, reInvent conference and tell a story. Well, oh, you told a story? Yeah, I told our, I told our journey. You know, talk, and you know that was at that time fifteen thousand people. I mean, it was just it was incredible. And you know, two years before that, we we hadn't even begun. So uh, it was just man, it feels good. It, it was just an amazing, amazing story. And uh, yeah, you know, it was uh, it was one for the ages for sure. And you know, I told people at J and J too, man, this doesn't come along that often. Jump on board because it's you know you may not get these opportunities in your career to have that sort of impact and uh, and really be you know out in front of the industry. And we 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 were, and uh, you know, we virtualized. You know, we went from. Very low rates of virtualization. We got up to like 80% virtualize our environment. And, you know, and these are old ERP platforms. You know, they're not, <laughs> you know, these modern day platforms. And, you know, we had companies telling us that, no, you can't virtualize Oracle. You can't virtualize SAP. And we did it. That's amazing. We did it, you know, and... Uh, now was Amazon? I, I got to ask because you presented. You presented. Your- no, this was on a private cloud, right? So we had a hybrid cloud. Yeah, we had a hybrid cloud environment. You know where we moved most of our assets to because we're not. You know, we just weren't ready, and people are still not ready to move their systems of record necessarily. Yeah. To a public cloud, although I, I believe it will happen, but there's a lot of ground to be covered there with the, uh, you know, regulated industries. Now I'm I'm curious. Are there fifteen thousand people in technology at the company, or are there fifteen thousand people at the company? I don't know. Oh, Johnson and Johnson. Yeah, I don't know how big. Oh no, there are one hundred thirty thousand people. Oh companies. wow! So when you talk about fifteen thousand, you're talking about that's just in technology. No, no, no. That was the people at Amazon in the conference. Oh, the crowd. They, fifteen. 000. The crowd was fifteen thousand. Whoa. 000, yeah. Okay. All right. And I was in the audience. They had another ten thousand. You know, on the webcast. I had I had a poster. I said, "Go, Dan." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was cra- it was a great experience so there's jeff bezos sitting right before me in the oh, front row <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> yeah it was and i have to tell you that you know working with aws you know and we did a lot of things with them we we we, we rolled out virtual desktops for them mm-hmm. like 25,000 of them and uh they're my favorite technology company to work with because they were so passionate about the customer, and they let you embed with their with their engineers to get stuff done. You know, with all you know, you look at the what I call now the old tech companies. You got to go through layers and layers before you get to someone who actually knows what they're talking about. And it was just so refreshing, and uh, the way that they operate the company, the way they think, is really really cool. It's uh, we do that over here because. You know, I, I've been writing code for 17 years, right? And we mm-hmm. have a platform and a product and all that stuff. So we have our engineers that are, they see the support tickets come through. They can respond to people. Yeah, you know, Everybody yeah. has like shared time when they're doing that, you know, support mm-hmm. desk concept. And that's because the most frustrating th- thing to me growing up in this industry was, you know, before payments were figured out by Stripe when you were having to build like tons of, right. like all of these little things that are amazing now. 
is when I needed to interface with these organizations, it's like they put me to a salesperson, then a customer success person, and then I have to get through the, the basic technical support, the advanced technical, and then finally someone who can just be like, oh, you, you need to- Oh, yeah, that's it. You need this <laughs> Do this. Over here. They didn't, somebody forgot to give you this key, so that's why you're getting rejected, or like something super simple. Right. Oh. It's uh, it's a uh, it's a big it's a big frustration uh, for for many many companies and individuals that have to deal with that. But you know we had a a, a great relationship with them, and uh, we really do some do some creative things, and we we influenced some of their products, and they actually made some of the product change because you know operating again as a you know a startup, it's great, but when you're an enterprise, there's different things you got to consider. And uh, you know, so it was. It was a great, great working relationship, and uh, we worked well with them. And so today, like now, you're at a college. Now I'm at a college. Is yep. it a medical college? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I was, uh, I was on the, uh, I, I had uh, a board seat here, so I was on the board of trustees. Went uh, about. I was on it for about three or four years, and then when I decided to retire from J and J, you know, the chairman of uh, of the board of trustees asked me, "Hey, would you consider helping us out?" And one thing led to another, and then uh, here I am. And it, you know, it's the same same issues, just a lot smaller scale in terms of trying to get to you know, moving off legacy platforms and and being on digital and. And really, you know, the challenge here is those, you know, you have students coming in that, you know, have a very different perspective about how, how they want to be served. And so, you know, moving the college to more of a self-service digital uh, experience as, you know, like people are used to on, you know, doing everything on their phone or whatever. Uh, that's, those are the types of things I'm, I'm working on now uh, with, with, with the college. That's me. You know, so I'm a, I'm a big nerd. Right. So uh-huh. I like to study different things. And I got into this one class. Um, Audible has these like long called the great courses. Have you heard of these? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. So I found one on education, like the history of the education system and all of that. And it's interesting because back in the day, they would, the government would build a library and then people would come to learn. Mm-hmm. And it was to make the town smarter so they could make more money so they could have taxes. Right. 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 And then they started teaching classes and then we started to get this idea of school and then when the british colony wanted to expand they mm-hmm. created the schools but originally it was like let's the people who wanted to from the town could go into the library start learning some stuff improve themselves create things and they could just pick whatever they wanted and then there were other people there um they could start little groups with but i see colleges as almost coming full circle to that like in the future not maybe today but with the way that the content and the courses and everything. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's quite, you know, stark to see that, you know, there's certain professors today that are into new learning experiences and how people learn, but you have, you know, a lot still who want to stand at a lecture and write on a board and, and, but it is evolving though, where, you know, Active learning, things like that, are are making their way into the classroom, and you know that's one of the other things I'm focusing on now is classroom tech. You know what should be the tech inside the classroom that really facilitates the new way people learn, right? Uh, which a lot of it is about storytelling, right, and those types of things. And uh, so we're you know we're 
we're actually one of our major projects we're working on now. We're we're building out uh, our Manhattan campus, and uh, right in Herald Square, we're going to have a beautiful facility where we'll have uh, students who can live there, uh, and as well as uh, doing a a big uh, renovation of the space using these sort of modern views of what the furniture should look like, what the lighting should look like, what the classroom tech would look like. We're, we're going to use uh, AV over IP to give us much more uh, control over the environment. You know, one of the things I'm a huge advocate for, and I'm, I'm helping people here get to that, is it's got to be simple. We, we struggle with people not coming to a classroom and they can't get this to work or that work and they waste 20 minutes of classroom time trying to get the projectors to work. So my thing is like, you know, you're not going to train them. You've got to make it intuitive. How do we create it where, you know, A, we can push a button, everything starts up and it works every time. And if they're having a problem, how do we reach out real time and reset the device for them versus calling the help desk or, you know, waiting for, you know, everybody says, hey, well, why can't you have guys waiting outside the door? Well, that's not financially feasible. It'll never, never fly. So, you know, putting that type of, you know, again, thing that I learned from Medco, a service-minded mentality, right? I tell people all the time, if you were calling the company and you're inside your house and you got that experience, what would you do? Would you be happy with it? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't take it. So why, you know, we as in technology, we're a service provider. You know, at, at J&J, I was a $2 billion service provider. <laughs> right. Right. You know, because I ran shared services. And, uh, you know, I, but that's what, you know, I learned at a company like Medco because we were a service company. So was, was, was Medco your first job in technology? No, I, I started as a programmer way back when oh, yeah? uh, at the chem, a chemical bank. Yeah, no, I was a programmer. Yep, I was uh, on mini. Remember mini computers? Yeah, you know there was a uh, you know deck had big mini computers, but I I worked on a platform called DataPoint. I bet you don't know what that is. No, I don't. Do no. Yeah, Google it. Yeah, it was a uh, it was uh, one of the early competitors to uh, to deck who had that you know the Vax deck Vax. And it was a basic programming language, basically. But uh, yeah, you could do some neat things with it. But it was a, it was a, it was a mini computer that uh, that was developed by. They were out in Texas, I think. But yeah, and they were a hot thing for you know three or four years, and then Wang came along, and then you know this came along, and that came along, and they 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 ceased to exist. Uh, but it was you know it's really where I uh, first got the opportunity to program, and then I. Then I moved to the mainframe programming, and then I got into fourth generation language. You remember that? No. Uh, Adabase Natural. That's another one. That was a fourth generation language that was again going to make COBOL go away, which never happened. Uh, but I then I got it. Then I got <laughs> it's into like still analytics. Still not gone. Yeah, I know. It's still not gone. And then I got into analytics and data warehousing. I got you know worked on a Teradata platform at the bank. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. yeah, and then uh, then I—that's really where I came over to Medco was really to build out their information warehouse, which that was another huge success story for us. Uh, uh, we built a, we built an integrated longitudinal database that you know you as a patient we could look at your your drug history across different companies that you work for, uh, do all sorts of advanced analytics on it, and we actually got to create uh, an information product that we. Uh, 
that we offered to clients. And it was a it was it helped Medco sell deals because back then people couldn't get access directly to data. We gave them we gave them direct access to the raw detail and and rolled it up on the fly. Oh, you guys are like ahead of your time. I love it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we were in a lot of ways, and today is a lot of that's common practice. But back then, it it really wasn't, and no one else was doing it. So, when you first made the transition from programmer and to like from being an individual contributor, right, Mm -hmm. just working on your own code and in your team to leading a team, your first team, where was that Mm -hmm. at? That's that chemical, you know. I very quickly advanced to be sort of a matrix lead. Okay, you know, I. You know, I my degree is in economics, and I kind of got into coding through mathematics, mm-hmm. and um, so I did that, and I was interested in it. But for me, I've always been interested in the outcome more than you know being the guy who's coding in the bowels of the system. You know, and very quickly that emerged in my career where I was helping people drive to outcomes and interfacing with the business because. I I have the ability to kind of talk on both sides. I can go down very deep at a technical level, but I can also translate it into business. What does it really mean for business? What's the outcome? How do we know we're adding value? Right? Those the types of things. things. Yeah, like because you know, who cares if you develop something and no one uses it? Like that doesn't mean anything. And so, you know, I very early on I I kind of migrated that way. But, you know, I also then went through stages where, you know, I became, you know, someone who managed large-scale infrastructure. And that really happened when we developed the website because we had no infrastructure. So we literally had to build a team around managing the web infrastructure and DMZ. And, you know, so I learned how to manage that. And again, but I wasn't, you know, down in the bowels of operating system. But again, how do we create the value? How do we create, you know, something that's repeatable and scalable? And it's cost efficient. So one of the, the things that we get a lot with the show is people, i uh, say a good portion of our audience, about 30% of them, they're individual contributors wanting to move to become a team leader, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're listening mm-hmm. for tips and advice. So can you share some takeaways or story or some advice from um, your first opportunity as a leader running, running a team? Well, I think the first thing, you know, it's, it's about the business, right? It's a, it's about first and foremost why why you know why are you there? You're not there just to be you know a coder. You're there to promote the company's mission and and revenue and profitability and service to the customers. So that's you know and at Medco we you know we kind of told everyone in the group, yeah, you're a technologist, but most importantly, you're you know you're in the medical industry. And you have, you know, sort of a higher authority there. So, so what are we, you know, what are you playing for is, is, is first. And I think the second thing is that, you know, demonstrate that you can deliver beyond just you. So, yeah, you can do stuff yourself. But have you got the experience and an opportunity and seek those out where you got two or three people working with you and you drove the outcome? And then third... Uh, is what I said is, you know, having that business acumen. Because if anybody wants to grow and become a, a technology executive, you've got to have that business acumen. Uh, you've got to, be, you got to have that presence to be able to, you know, talk in front of a group of executives who, 
love technology and know how important it is, but they really don't understand it. And, you know, if you go in there and do a bunch of techno babble, they're going to say, I don't know what that guy or gal is talking about, but get someone here who, who actually can translate it into something that's meaningful to us. And that's a real skill to be able to, to do that as well. And then, yeah, and a lot of technical people grow up not having that. They don't, and they don't practice enough at it. Uh, you know, for me, I was lucky. It was kind of innate, and and but I, you know, I still had to practice it as well. And you know, but well, you can be you can be you can be inclined to do something, but if, but you got to yeah. If you put effort at it, then like persistence will be skilled ten days a week. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, and uh, so yeah, and you know, I I always tell people that you want opportunities. The best way to get that is when you know opportunities always come up. And when someone in the room says, you know, who should we think about? Is your name going to pop up? Is your name going to be in front of that list? Right? Because that's how it happens. Right? Yeah, you can apply for this and apply for that. But, it, you know, there's, there's a line of people waiting outside that. You want to be top of mind. That, right? Because that's how it happens. That's what, look, we have a leadership company that like came out of the podcast. And this is what we talk about so much. People say, oh, I've been yeah. here the longest. I got passed up. Or it doesn't they mean anything. I know. <laughs> I'm like, look, in their mind, they don't think you can perform the job because if the, if they were confident in your ability to perform the job, they would have, you know, considered you for the opportunity, but they don't feel confident. Yeah. You have to not only improve, but communicate your journey of improving to the stakeholders. You have to show yeah. them you're skilled. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, though, that's, that's what I, I tell people. And, uh, and I was just talking to a young student here yesterday and, you know, I told them that, you know, one of the mistakes that, that people make is they think someone else is responsible for their career. Yeah. And I told them, I said, you know, if you hear nothing else in this conversation, you are responsible for your career. And you need to, like, hold that in the center because, you know, there's going to be a lot of stuff that comes your way and things are going to go wrong, things are going to go right. But, you know, that's what I've always fundamental fundamentally believe that it's a, you know a lot of it's an, to the greatest extent that you can make things in your control that's always going to be, be a better outcome versus having stuff happen to you i heard that and that's 100 correct and I, but i heard this this myth of like there's these people that work at that companies and they believe the company is responsible for improving and growing them and so yeah. I didn't believe that they existed, but then I ran into a bunch of them and my mind was like blown. They, they, they exist. They exist. And, uh, you know, and his, you know, maybe 40 years ago, that may have been true, you know, in the, in the old corporate world, it's no longer true. Yes. Are they interested in your growth? Yeah, they are. But there's, you know, budgets for training and budgets for those types of things. They're thin. And uh, what I've always found is the best way to, to grow is, you know, your own active learning, which is a combination of what your company can offer, your own development, reading, research, and the biggest thing is doing, learning by doing. And that's, you know, it, if you're not, it, it's, it, it's a big mistake to think otherwise. <sighs> I love it. We are of the same tribe, my friend. <laughs> I just, oh, I was, I'm so, I'm so glad that like when I talk to you and you're a person who's gone far and has continued to grow throughout their career 
and get to you know the top of these large industries that you have these these takeaways that are aligned with like how I see the world. I guess. Yeah, a lot of them are, you know, very practical. They're not, you know, they're not mind blowing. They're they're very, you know, they're but they're rare that, nonetheless in action. No, I guess that's true too. I hear it in my Audible books every day. I hear it from the successful people I listen to. That's one of the main reasons why I have this show, Dan, is because mm-hmm. I like to be around people who think like like I do, and uh-huh. I like to find people that not only from the books but people I can actively engage in conversations with. Yeah. Um, okay. That believe this. That believe this stuff. It makes it. Oh, well, you're, you're, you found a person who believes it 100. And you know, and I'm, and I'm proud to say that you know, over the course of my career, I got to show a lot of people who listened, and took the advice, and they're now very successful in their own right, and uh, you know, and by using some of these principles that, you know, were hard for them to accept at times. And, uh, but they, they, for those who have, they've, they've, they've achieved and it's, and it's helped them. So if that's, you know, for me, that's also been a, a very uh, rewarding part of my journey is helping other people grow. And, you know, a lot of that is, I call it pushing them to the front of the bus, right? Who do you want in the front of your bus driving? You know, cause you have passengers all day long. Yeah. You know, a lot of those people turn out to be like movie critics. You know, they point out all the things that are wrong. They're not even paying attention to the road in front of them. Yeah, <laughs> and if you push people to the front of the bus and you get more drivers, everybody wins. I like that analogy. Right, because as an executive, you know, you don't succeed if you don't have, you know, smart people around you. So what, what, tell me the, one of the top qualities that stands out to you about someone who's, who you would invest time into. Well, first and foremost, they're willing to learn. Right, they're 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 willing to you know really willing to learn, and a they have an aptitude, so you can see that in that. But I, you know, so often uh, I believe everybody has a skill and a talent, and what I get the most joy out of is finding that hidden talent in people and growing it, and putting them in situations where they have well, I can't do that. And getting them in that situation and getting them to do that and giving them the support to do that. So for me, I've, I've always just been good at being able to spot those people and putting them in the right opportunity and giving them the air cover because that's important too. Creating a space where they can... Can grow. succeed, yeah. right. Yeah, as well. And, uh, you know, so it's again, it's aptitude, it's their ability to communicate, their willingness to learn, to have an open mind is, and you know, when I, so, so for me, it's a quick thing though. Like if I tell you and you choose not to do it, well, okay, then, then I'm going to back away. Yeah. I've heard, I heard, I was listening to Oprah Winfrey give like a speech to a college and she had this thing that stuck with me like really well, really strong. And she said, believe people the first time they show you who they are. And I was like, yeah. ooh. I was like, that's pretty good. That's pretty deep. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. So it's uh it's been a big part of what I've enjoyed in, in my career. And when I, you know, when I worked at Johnson and Johnson compared to Medco, I got to, you know, meet people across the globe. I mean, I've been to places I never thought I'd get to. And that was one of the things I enjoyed most about my job is experiencing different cultures and uh getting to know what motivates people. Uh, in different cultures, uh, and really learning more about how they think, and how do you figure out how to get you know people across the globe to act as one? 
Are you writing a, a book? Are you going to write a book? <laughs> I don't know if I have the skills to do that. I could probably talk one, but I don't know if I could actually sit down and write one. But I, I certainly have enough material. That's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure I do. All right. So tell me real quick, as we wrap up, Dan, what are you most excited about today? You know, I, I look at all the stuff that's happening around us with the, you know, things like autonomous systems, you know, that I, you know, at just the pace of change, drones, you look at 5G, you know, all of the stuff that over the next years are going to just, you know, be incredible. You know, robotics, you know, 3D printing, you know, printing, you know, body parts, maybe. It's, it's just, it's mind boggling. And, you know, the thing that, you know, I'm a big believer in, in sort of the concept of a platform, you know, the power of the cloud as a platform is just mind blowing because it, it's made, you know, the engine sort of a commodity and has freed up the world to do these amazing things and have the scale and the power to do it that just weren't possible. I love it. It's just, it's, you know, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm excited about it again, but it's not just the technology, it's the things that you can do. And if you look at healthcare, just to end there, the possibilities, I mean, that's why I love healthcare so much because it's, you know, it's real. You're impacting people's lives. You're making a difference. I know. And it's just, it's, a, and I look at the possibilities, you know, with, you know, body parts or, you know, sensors that could be implanted into the body. It's just, it's just incredible. So it's a, it's an exciting time. And I think it's going to get even more exciting. And I think the, the acceleration of the things that are capable and possible, you know, are just, they're just endless. There's, and, there's uh, I think too many advancements in too many different areas. Like, like, you can pull up the video. They've got robots that are running and doing backflips. Pull up another video. Yeah, no. They have people yeah. who have hands with like bionic hands with like soft touch capabilities that feel like human hands. Like yeah. The amount of stuff like self, they're putting like learning and the gesture. It's like everywhere you look, there's massive rapid advancements every six or 12 months. I'm like, I'm like, we're in the next 20 years, we're going to see amazing. It's going to be like fireworks. Yeah, it's yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. But you know, as you know, the thing with these uh, Max 80s, you also see the power of technology where it can become too sophisticated, and people can't. They maybe we don't know. They can't operate it. It's, it becomes so like when AI starts making its own technology, humans won't be able to operate it. Yeah, that becomes you know. Well, we look at you know, it's not far fetched that you know the big issue is there is that you know maybe in some of these evolving countries, pilots may not have been trained well enough to deal with what was happening. That had to override the computer, if you will. Yeah, and you you think about apply that to surgery, apply that to uh, you know any other critical infrastructure. You know, it's sort of like the HAL thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, we, now we're into some Elon Musk territory. Yeah, now we are. Humans, <laughs> humans are the biological bootload to our AI overlords. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? So it's, uh, yeah, it, you know, some of it's a little scary. You know, some of it is full, it's filled with uh, promise and amazing things that can be done. But you know, there's another side of it, too, is like, eh, you know, you know, how do we know it's right? 
But when I, so when I was talking to Kevin Scott, who's like the CTO of all of Microsoft, right? First uh-huh. CTO of the entire organization in 23 years. So I was having a conversation with him about this and he brought some interesting perspective. He said, after he's analyzed it all, like 360 around, right? He just has to choose an optimistic outlook. Like there's no other way to go. <laughs> yeah, right. That's probably true. I, you know, and I think I'm there as well, but I'm also, you know, I do have in the back of my mind, hmm. It's you the know. health skepticism, <laughs> right? It's like, that's that's a good that, yeah, yeah. That's that's a good word for it. But it's the balance. <laughs> yeah, it is, and you need both. You, you need both. Definitely need balance. Otherwise, you just it, it goes too too far. Uh, Dan, <laughs> this is fantastic. I I so am incredibly grateful that you came on and oh no, my pleasure. Thank you for reaching out to me. I yeah. you know I was like wow, this is pretty good. All right. Well, that, that I appreciate the opportunity and uh, I'd love to keep in touch. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dan. You have an excellent, right. excellent weekend. You too. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.